I'm Roger Baker, Executive Director of the Stratfor Center for Applied Geopolitics at RAIN, a global center of excellence for geopolitical intelligence and analysis. Learn how you can put geopolitics to work for your organization at RAINnetwork.com. Welcome to this episode of RAIN's Essential Geopolitics podcast. I'm Emma Kami, and today I'll be speaking with RAIN's global economy analyst, Marcus Yeager, about China's current economic outlook. Hi, Marcus. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Emma. Thanks for having me. Um, so to start us off, uh, how has China's economy been performing recently? So it's a bit of a complicated picture. China, of course, also suffered from the COVID lockdown. So consumption was down, economic growth was fairly low. So in, in 2022, I think we had a growth rate of around 3%, which of course is extremely low by Chinese standards. As probably all know, China's growth rate is closer to like 10% over the past 30 or 40 years. And then more recent years, it's definitely been right sort of five, five or 6%. So 3% was relatively weak, which is why most analysts and myself included, we expected a major rebound in 2023, of course, on the back of the uh, post-COVID economic reopening. And here things get complicated because you have something that economists call base effect. So if you want to figure out how well an economy is doing, you have to reference it to the prior year. But so this year we're looking at a growth of probably around 5%, but that should be taken with a grain of salt because of these base effects and this low, lower level at which from which growth is measured in 2023. I think it's fair to say that overall China's economic performance has, has disappointed. And there's already a lot of analysts out there who have turned quite pessimistic on China, and I'm sure we'll get to that question in a second. But more recently, it's been it's been doing okay, but not as well as expected. I think the main reason for this is, and there are different different explanations explanations out there. The main reason for this is is the economic rebalancing that the Chinese authorities began in 2020. There is a, a, a fundamental disequilibrium in the Chinese economy. There's overinvestment in the real estate sector. And in an attempt to address this, China has taken the conscious decision to slow down and to some extent shrink the real estate sector to prevent overinvestment in that area. And that has weighed down, of course, economic activity in this sector as also depressed is too strong a word, but has weighed on, on real estate prices that's relevant because for households, a large part of their savings comes in the in the um, in the guise of, of of owning apartments. So that has probably weighed on on consumption and so on and so forth. So we've seen, you know, five percent is still an okay number. Even stripping out base effects, it's okay, but it's nowhere near where we were pre-COVID. So I would say it's a bit of a mixed picture. We would have expected faster economic growth. We got lower economic growth. But really, this has to be seen in the context of this broader adjustment of the real estate sector. Now, a second, a second explanation is that because of increasing intervention in the domestic economy, that investor confidence has declined in China. I think that's very difficult to, to prove, uh, as are many explanations. It's another possibility. But overall, I think if you look at the aggregates, it's clear that the, uh, the, the shrinking of the real estate sector and the financial problems that come with it, that this has weighed on the Chinese economic outlook and has also to some extent weakened the rebound in consumption. So I would say 
overall, it's a bit of a mixed picture. And the key question, of course, is what will happen over the next one or two years? And that can't be answered in abstract. That needs to be answered in the context of China's political economy. What are kind of the major challenges faced by decision makers in trying to address these issues? Yeah, so, so the way I see it is, as I mentioned, in 2020, the authorities took a very conscious decision to limit the growth or even shrink the real estate sector, particularly investment in this sector. And if, if a sector or if, if an area is like 25% of your GDP, if you put the brakes on it, well, then inevitably growth will have to come from somewhere else. Now, the Chinese authorities have also taken a conscious decision not to counteract that slowdown that drags stemming from the real estate sector by massively expanding their monetary policy or their fiscal policy. This, I think, is, again, it's a conscious decision because China wants to rebalance the economy and it doesn't want to go from one imbalance to another type of imbalance. So it's been quite cautious in terms of providing selective support to the real estate sector where needed, but also very selective and cautious about providing additional demand for, for, for the domestic economy and mostly limited, limit incentives for, for increased domestic consumption. So this, I think, is the, the challenge at the cyclical level. How do, you, how do you offset this drag coming from the real estate sector by stimulating consumption and without increasing government expenditure, for example? or using monetary policy, all, all of those things might lead to the emergence of other types of imbalances that the Chinese authorities also are not particularly keen on. But I would say that is just the cyclical challenge the authorities face. More fundamentally, and I have to use some basic macroeconomics here, more fundamentally, I think China faces a situation where the savings rate is still too high. So savings are more than 40% of GDP, and savings is defined as the part of national production that you don't consume that is available for investment, or you can export it through your trade surpluses. Now we'll have to see how this is going to work out over the next year or two. But if you have a very, very high savings rate, then potentially that leads to overinvestment, which is also a challenge. So for China really to to put its economy on a more sustainable footing, but certainly on a, on a more robust, uh, on a more robust footing, as it were, it would make a lot of sense to increase consumption. The problem is you can't really push up consumption overnight. You can't go from consumption of say you know forty percent to fifty percent. By the same token, it's very difficult to reduce the savings rate from more than forty percent to thirty percent overnight. That has to be a multi-year process. So in other words, the underlying fundamental challenge that China is facing on top of the cyclical, and of course they, they, they are tied to one another, is really that China has a very, very high savings rate. And in a way, it, can, it should reduce this amount of savings. If it can't do this, it could try to export those savings, but this would likely lead to increased trade tensions with its economic partners. Or alternatively, um, it could it could uh, it could use the government to finance expenditure that increases consumption. And lastly, 
it could of course simply try to redirect those quote-unquote excess savings towards areas where you get a lot of bang for your buck as it were meaning that these investments instead of like pushing them to real estate sector which leads to the overbuilding of structures and apartments if the chinese authorities were able to create opportunities for this investment to be to be invested productively inside the country this would be wonderful because then china would be able to maintain a higher growth rate over the longer term without running in the kinds of fin financial imbalances that it has run into because it favored the real estate sector for too long. That makes a lot of sense. Um, this may be kind of more of a long-term question, but given that China's shrinking population has been in the news a lot lately, what role, if any, does the population decline play in the country's economic and financial outlook? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I know intuitively, and, and also in all fairness, the majority of analysts think it's going to be a huge drag for economic growth. And I'm not suggesting that it does not constitute a drag, but I would point out that most of the economic growth over the past 40 years wasn't due to the increase in labor supply. It was due to productivity growth. So the way I view the Chinese economy is that if, if it grows 5%, then the bulk of these 5% comes from increased investment and increased productivity of the economy rather than from additional labor supply. Now, it's undoubtedly true, though, that China is facing significant demographic headwinds. So presumably labor supply will be decreasing. Certainly the working age population has already started to, do, to decrease, depending on what statistics you believe. So yes, this, there will be a drag on economic growth. But you could easily offset this if you were able to identify profitable investment opportunities, or which is kind of the same thing, if the government pursued the types of reforms that would allow investment to generate significant returns. And that probably broadly means investing in perhaps not so much physical infrastructure, but if you will, intellectual, intangible infrastructure, and do various things around this that allow investment to be, to be more productive. At the same time, though, I would say that this is also an opportunity, too much, too, 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 too general a word, but it's an opportunity also in the sense that, as I mentioned, one way to address China's uncertain economic outlook is for the government to transfer more money into the pockets of private households. And one reason why the savings rate is so high in China, there are several reasons, notably high corporate savings, fair degree of public sector savings, but also very importantly, a very high degree of household savings to disincentivize households to save. And I know this sounds paradoxical, say from a US or European perspective, but to disincentivize households to save, the government could simply come in and say, look, we're going to pay for your retirement. We're going to pay for your healthcare expenditure. So in that sense, I feel like given that you will probably, or not probably certainly see increased number of people retiring, these are not the people you will be able to influence by introducing those policies. But in a sense, these should be people that have a fairly high, high inclination to consume, particularly if they get additional money in their pocket. So in that sense, one might argue that the demographic decline opens up possibilities to make these transfers from the government to the, uh, to the household sector more effective in terms of household sectors spending behavior, assuming that these households, these households, or more importantly, these pensioners, that they are, they are cash and wealth constraints, so that they would start spending 
whatever additional RMB they get from from the government. So, uh, but having said that, this is sort of more like a micro issue. Broadly, it's still true that demographic aging will be a drag on labor supply. So this was not going to make a favorable contribution to economic growth. But I also don't think that this is going to be the main challenge, at least from, from an economic perspective, that will hold China back. There is the issue of excess savings. And there's really, really the issue of how to convert these savings into profitable investment to finance sustainable, high long-term economic growth. So all this taken into consideration, can you sum up your view with respect to uh, China's medium-term economic uh, and financial outlooks? So I'm going to stick my head out the window here, as it were. Right now, there's a lot of pessimism about China. And I think part of that is because of the domestic political dynamics. We haven't really touched on the international political dynamics, where there's increasing tit-for-tat and increasing conflicts, particularly between the US and China which is weighing on investment. So there's a bunch of, of negative things that are affecting the Chinese economy. But at the same time, it's worth pointing out that its, it's, it's theoretical economic potential is still quite significant. Why am I saying this? China's per capita income is way lower than that in the United States. And for economists, they tend to look at this and say, if you have a low per capita income level, and you get a few reforms right, then you can generate what's called catch-up economic growth. So this would suggest that if you get a few policies right, a low level per capita income provides you with a greater growth potential. From that perspective, and from that perspective only, China still has another 20, 30 years of potentially fairly significant economic growth ahead of it. The problem is that to domestic politics, more importantly, the domestic policies right now, the rebalancing and potentially the increasing intervention in the private sector, that this may be weighing on China's economic growth outlook. So uh, that's, one, that's one thing. The other one is that I think analysts focus too much and too quickly on price dynamics. And I understand why they do this. So China's, because of this relatively short, shortfall of demand, there has been downward pressure on prices. But as of now, and I'll change my mind, I'll change my mind when, the, when the facts change, as of now, I don't see this as a, as a major issue. Yes, it could be a reflection of excess savings, but this is why these savings need to be mobilized. And barring this, the government could simply try to administer stimulus-oriented fiscal policies. And here I'm much more of an optimist because I do think that because China's debt is contained within China, as it were, and China is a major international creditor, it has a lot of economic leeway and financial leeway to restructure those debts and to make sure that economic growth remains substantially high over the long term. So I would put myself more on the, uh, on the center optimism camp, where if I had to put a number on this, I would say China will probably grow around 4% over the next three to four years on average. And then depending on the absence or presence of major reform, it should be able to sustain a 3.5% growth rate. Now, there's, of course, always a risk of, of, of an accident happening, for sure. But from a purely potential point of view, as long as, as, as China's growth potential is being taken advantage of by the authorities, and as long as the authorities pursue relatively growth-supportive, from a cyclical point of view, growth-supportive economic policies, I don't see why China should grow 
much less than 4%. You know, I'm not going to quibble like maybe 3.5%, 4%. But I also don't think China is going to return to 5% growth rates for both economic and political reasons. So overall, I think the downside is much more limited than a lot of analysts right now believe. But also, China is definitely not going to return to its heyday of uh, 20 years ago and, and also not going back to the better growth rates set of that we saw five years ago. Thank you for your insights, Marcus. Um, I'm sure we'll be hearing more from you on this as China's economic situation continues to evolve. If you're interested in more analyses from RAIN, you can subscribe to our geopolitical intelligence product, RAIN Worldview. Our suite of risk products allow clients to access the insights and analyses they need to make more informed decisions. You can sign up or learn more at our website, rainnetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E network.com. I'm Emma Kami. Thanks for listening. <laughs>